Hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of Talking Movies. I'm Max. I'm Tim. This episode, we are continuing our uh, deep dive into our DVD collections. <laughs> uh, Tim's being assaulted by my cat right now. She's right in my face. Uh, all right. Uh, yeah, so we're digging through a bunch of uh, movies that we own in our collections that, we ne- we've, that we've never gotten around to watching. And so this episode I dug into mine and uh, I pulled out uh, the 1976 film directed and starring, uh, or directed by and starring Clint Eastwood, The Outlaw Josie Wales. And uh, this was not the first time you've seen this movie. No, I think it was probably the second <laughs> Your cat is very affectionate today. Yeah, I think she just woke up from a nap. So oh, okay. Hopefully the purring is getting picked up by the mic so everybody can enjoy. <laughs> um. yeah, so I first saw The Outlaw Josie Wales in college. There was like this period of time when I'm not sure if... Uh, like I don't know exactly what ended it. But there was a time when everybody was, like, super into Clint Eastwood as a director. I mean, like, you know, he'd been, like, a superstar for decades. And then, um, I'm assuming it was Mystic River Mm -hmm. that sort of, like, brought him back as, like, oh, yeah, this guy's still making movies and some of them are pretty damn good. Right, because, I mean, in uh, 1992, he won... uh an Academy Award for directing Unforgiven. Yeah. And that was, I kind of feel like, uh, everyone's big sort of wake up call to like, oh, he's, you know, he's finally arrived as like, a, I don't know, as a even though like he made a whole bunch of movies throughout the eighties. But that one I felt like was the first time he'd been truly legitimized as like a director. Cause I think most people view Clint Eastwood as, you know, as a movie star, as an actor. At that time. Yeah, at that time. So then it was like, oh, he's actually, like, you know, directing these things. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and then you, you kind of go, like, pretty much, like, a whole decade where he's, you know, he, I mean, he's he's one of the most prolific uh, filmmakers working today. I mean, he's, you know, pretty consistently making about a movie a year on average. About. I mean, he's no Woody maybe Allen. Two, yeah, maybe movie every two years but then he's a lot older than Woody Allen so he's naturally slower (laughs) it is Um, weird to think that he is older than Woody Allen (laughs) yeah I mean he's uh, gosh he's getting close to 90 years old now Yeah, he's got a movie coming out like like next month the Outlaw Josie Wales he was 46 and that was 40 41 years ago yeah that's unbelievable um, but yeah, so then in, uh, yeah, Mystic River comes along and that kind of, like you were saying, was kind of everybody's sort of like, oh yeah, <laughs> Clint Eastwood, he's making movies. And you follow that right up with Million Dollar Baby. Yeah, in which he wins again for another then, Academy Award. And then he had, <clears throat> like, the Flags Were Fathers and letter, Letters from Iwo Jima, like the back-to-back, mm-hmm. um, like looking at aspects of World War Two from, like, the American side and the Japanese side. Um, and then after that, it was. Just, I feel like people were like, oh, "Okay, so he's just gonna keep going, and uh, every now and then we'll watch them." American Sniper was pretty big. Uh, yeah, it was back a, in that, I mean, that was a huge hit. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, but 
that was just uh, a little while after his um, the thing with the chair. Right at the uh, Republican National Convention in was that during the two thousand eight? That was two thousand twelve. Oh, okay. So yeah, because Obama was already in, and he was the chair. What, like he was pretending Obama was sitting in the chair. He gave a very awkward like for people who don't know what we're talking about. It was. Um, there was announced that, like, oh, there's going to be a, a special, like, secret guest of honor tonight, and no one knew who it was, and it it was Clint Eastwood, and he brought out this chair, and the guest of honor was really supposed to be, like, Obama in that chair, and he was, like, talking to the chair as if Obama was sitting in it. Right. And, and like, oh, you said you were going to close Guantanamo Bay. Uh, how'd that go for you? Ha ha. And, like, uh, and it was uh, just very awkward. Yeah, and it kind of became fodder for a lot of, uh, you know, comedy send-ups and various other things. So you think that was a turning point? In the public perception. In of, the public perception? Yeah, because, um, uh, I mean, th- yeah, this is a very divided country politically. And I feel like Clint Eastwood often falls into, like, the conservative side of a lot of things like the people uh, who just unequivocally unequivocally are like oh yes Clint Eastwood I love that man tend to be conservative and then when he had that like little renaissance kicked off with uh, Mystic River I feel like just people in general who uh, maybe they leaned a little more liberal or maybe they were just middle of the road were like oh okay because I mean one good thing about his movies is they're not always like just black and white on issues and things like that. No, not at like, all. Like regardless of what his personal politics may be, that's what make a lot of them good films. Um, and I feel like a lot of the people who sort of like came into the Eastwood fold because of those movies, after that incident, they were like, "Oh, he's just a crazy old man. He's lost touch with everything." Yeah, that's such a weird thing to, I don't know, to just dismiss somebody over. Like, I don't know, everybody has, like, bad, I mean, especially, like, performers and, like, he's no stand-up comedian. <laughs> I mean, he's very, yeah. that's never been his, like, uh, you know, acting forte. Um, so, I don't know why anyone would expect him to be able to do, you know, like, this live sort of, it had a very off-the-cuff kind of, like... Well, improv like uh you know sketch essentially yeah i mean it wasn't even necessarily like it's like who cares it was, it was more like his intentions and his presence at the republican convention yeah and that's that, what that i mean sort of... but like also it's just like who cares like i mean just because you're a republican doesn't mean like like what does that mean you know i, I don't know but you're like you said everybody is it, and especially if you have gotten so divided it's if just, you're to watch his movies and like listen to him talk about like specific issues and things like I feel like he's not, uh, I guess, a modern Republican. He's, like, a Republican in the sense that, like, when when you're talking to, like, some of your older relatives and they refer to themselves as Republican. Mm-hmm. But then you actually talk about things and it's like, oh, they're not crazy. They're just... Well, it's like, I mean, like, so, okay, he had, like, just, if you're a Democrat and you don't agree with, like, Republican or conservative, like, political ideas, it's like, 
like that's it's it's okay and it's actually good to have like different ideas about like policy and stuff like that it's like all like the social politics that i think a lot of people get right caught up on but if you go and you watch like clint eastwood's filmography like he's not like you know yeah like a socially conservative guy at all i don't think so no so like i don't so that's what's weird about like just sort of being like, oh well, he's a Republican, like. And also, this is just my personal. So you do, like, but how does it reflect like poorly on his character? You know what I mean, like. And also, this is my personal theory as to why like that era of like the way everybody looked at him ended. Mm-hmm. And like the last big movie that he did, American Sniper, was sort of like. Now I haven't seen American Sniper. Have you seen it? I have not. No. Um. But I did see some criticism about people saying that it, like, glorifies war or something along those lines. And I, at some point I'm going to see it because it was up for Best Picture and I've got that quest that I'm on. Um, and I have a feeling when I see it that it won't be a movie that just comes out and blatantly says something like that. Like, it's probably, isn't it great that we're over in Afghanistan? Like, <laughs> yeah, like, wow, he murdered how many people? More than anybody else. Like, I don't... Yeah. I don't know. Um, but anyway, yeah, this is just... <laughs> this is quite a tangent to get off to. On the... <laughs> but, I mean, I don't know. I, watching Josie Wales, I mean, there is this thing that I was thinking about in regards to modern-day politics in the movie because it's set just after the Civil War. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, Josie Wales is a confederate soldier who's essentially like not giving up the fight and he's you know and the union soldiers are not depicted in a very positive light at all but also Um, his fight is not the south's fight he has a personal uh stake in it right yeah but i mean that that's but it, it did get me thinking about it as being like i mean i don't know i can imagine a lot of people in today's political climate looking at a movie like josie wells and being like Oh my god, you know, like the lead, you know, the the sympathetic character is a Confederate soldier because the Confederacy has become this like very uh, you know, hot touchy subject. For some reason. <laughs> For some reason. But I mean, but no, I mean like but the, the the thing with the Civil War is like I mean just like Josie Wales in this movie, a lot like people were fighting on both sides for so many different reasons that had, you know, and a lot of times they had nothing to do with you know the issues of slavery or anything right, on, on the big on the big scale. Yeah, the the war was fought over slavery as one of the main pillars. Yeah, of but not all the the soldiers, the the people yeah, understood the people. it completely. Yeah. like what they were doing, and, and that's why I mean, now this is a big tangent, but like you know, people just outwardly saying you know saying like the Confederate flag is like a symbol of hate or whatever. I don't know because it's like at the end of the day, like both sides of the war were Americans. You know what I mean? And yeah, well, no, one, they weren't. One <laughs> side was <laughs> they but, were leaving, but the people who live in America now, like that, is their you know, if you're if your great great grandfather or whatever, like fought in the Confederacy and died in the Confederacy, fighting for his home state or his hometown, it's I don't know, like it, that's a part of the family legacy. It's a part of the American legacy. But I, the people I see, the all right, so we're in upstate New York. If people are born in upstate New York, they're living all their lives in upstate New York. Why the fuck do you have a Confederate flag? It's because you hate black people. Well, <laughs> that I don't know. I can't wrap my head around that. That's my side of it. I'm, I'm not even going to get into the southern part. I'm just talking about like our lives. The Confederate flags we see flying up here. Mm-hmm. No, those people 
why are we even talking about this like this? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I guess it does have to do with the movie, but it's just like, uh, I don't know. I, I am against them here. If I but go I wouldn't, to I wouldn't even South, say that, like, just if you if you have a Confederate flag, like, I don't know, a bumper sticker or something. I, my, the, my immediate thought would not be like, oh, that person hates black people. I would immediately be like, they are very ignorant. That would be my assumption about them. Well, I was, I mean, I don't know. It's just like up until like just recently, I mean, I would see the Confederate, you watch the Dukes of Hazard, you see the Confederate flag around. Yeah. It never, ever occurred to me as like a symbol of like a racist. Yeah, but you were like a little kid. No, all the way through high school and all the way. Like, Watching the Dukes of Hazard? Well, when I see it on TV, I never, I've never watched the Dukes of Hazard, but like you oh, see, oh, okay, I was, it's like I feel like that was like the eighties. No, you see it just like you know the you, you like I, I don't know you see like no, the, I had the well, them, them I had boys the, around again. I had like, the Matchbox car when I was a little kid. Yeah, and it's just like it never, I never connected those dots as being like, oh, this is actually like, but then when you start to see the other side of it and people being like, hey, like we're living in you know these like black families like growing up and going to like these. You know, Robert E. Lee Elementary School and like you know, these kinds yeah. of things and like these uh, this sort of uh, overarching sort of context of their life that is set within like the Confederacy has never really gone away in the iconography of like these places and stuff. I can see how that's very like you know problematic. Yeah. But I think like. Um, I don't know. It just It's uh, like when you're when you're little people are saying like colored people all the time, you don't think anything of it, and then you grow up and realize, wow, no, you don't say that. Things evolved. Mm-hmm. Like things that weren't offensive when we were kids. That actually was offensive when we were kids, but I was around a lot of like racist relatives who said a lot worse than that too. But at least some of the worst stuff I knew was bad. Yeah. Um I don't know, think of stuff I mean Five years ago, you could say tranny. You gonna say tranny right now? Yeah, though that's off the table. Yeah. <laughs> so the outlaw Josie Wales. Yeah. Anyway, the whole reason. <laughs> no, but I mean, but but this was something that did cross my mind while watching the yeah. movie about because it is like okay, we're we're watching this heroic Confederate soldier, um, you know, fighting off all of like the evil red-legged, blue-bellied Union soldiers. Yeah. Um. Yeah, but I, but I like how this movie does show... I mean, just what you were saying before is that it's like his fight isn't the Confederate fight. It's his own personal fight. And, uh... And, of course, during during the Civil War, like, there were, you know... I, you know, there were heroes and villains on both sides because people, like, you know, you, you see, like, you know, I mean, as depicted in this movie, at least... The idea of like these uh, these soldiers and generals and leaders on you know on both sides of the armies getting the, the you know they get that taste for blood and that and you just start and you live your life for years like that, mm-hmm. um, hating this whole <laughs> you know group of people, um, you know the other side, the Southerners. It's hard to let that go, you know, and things get way carried away, and. Uh, you know, I mean, it's like there. You know, things weren't one hundred percent like purely good on on the Union side, and things weren't one hundred percent purely bad on the Confederate side. No, I feel like that's every war ever. Yeah, exactly. Because people are people. People are yeah. 
People are people. People in sure. general suck. So. Yeah, and I mean, definitely as shown in this movie, um, you know, it's a very harsh America that we're seeing. It's a very 70s movie. Yeah, I mean, you can feel the uh, disillusionment with the uh, thing. I mean, with things like, you know, the Vietnam War in coming into play and all those kinds of things about, you know, and race relations and all those things. And it's just, it's, yeah, right up there in the world of Josie Wales. So we got onto this tangent because I was talking about, like, my sort of experience with Quinn Eastwood. Um, and I was trying to, like, explain, like, that era, sort of, like, when all of a sudden it was, like, really cool to like Quinn Eastwood. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I, really, I, was one of, I was one of those guys. Yeah, that's around <laughs> the time you got into him, too, I think. Well, yeah, because it like... was, yeah, well, I, I was going to ACC, which is the local community college, and, uh, yeah, there was this class that was called uh, Major Filmmakers, and it would focus on uh, three filmmakers and through their filmographies, and it was sort of like a each filmmaker was kind of its own class technically, but um, one of the filmmakers that I that that I had the class in was Clint Eastwood, and it was the first time that I had really considered him as a director. You know, I'd seen his uh, like Sergio Leone westerns. And, um, you know, like Dirty Harry back in the day and stuff like that. But, like, yeah, actually seeing, well, you know, I had seen High Plains Drifter. I haven't seen that one. Yeah, that one my dad had given me on DVD, like, a year or two before I took that class. And, uh, yeah, that this was, uh, High Plains Drifter was the first Western that he directed, um, and it was, I believe, the only one before Josie Wales that he directed. I think Josie Wales was his second Western that he made. Um, he didn't direct many, I don't think. No, there's uh, High Plains Drifter, Josie Wales, Pale oh. Rider. And Unforgiven. Unforgiven. That was his last Western, right? What about Bronco Billy? That's not, is that technically a Western? Um, I don't think so. It's more, I mean, no. I, w- I would not categorize it as such. Okay. It's, uh, I mean, it takes place in the modern day, and he's just like, uh, he's like a performer, kind of like a Buffalo Bill kind of guy. Mm, right. Yeah. I mean, if you really wanted to, st- like, I took a class called the Western once, and boy, um, like, everybody had to do a presentation on a Western. And I feel like people were really reaching with some of them. Like, I, they like there was this one guy who did Jurassic Park, and he made the argument well. Wait, that Jurassic Park is a Western? Yeah. Okay, okay. Um, but there were a few things... I, I don't know. It's hard to... You know, I mean, genre, you can basically, like, pick any movie in any genre and try to make an excuse for why that movie fits in that genre. Like, I'm sure somebody could be like, well... Father of the Bride, you know, is, is it's a science fiction film. Clearly, <laughs> yes. Is uh, and I'm sure they could come up with some reasons. By the end of the conversation, you'd be like, oh, "Okay, I just never looked at it that way before." <laughs> right. But yeah, you know, I growing up, I was not into westerns. The only ones that I ever really knew of were things like Blazing Saddles and City Slickers, mm. which you know, like comedic westerns. And yeah, send ups like, of the genre. Yeah. Um, 
And it wasn't really until I got to college where I watched... The first one that I watched that was, like, not a funny Western was The Searchers. Mm. That's a good place to start. Yeah. And then um, I followed that up with the uh, Leone Westerns. Yeah, that's... I mean... (laughs) And you're like, oh, shit, Westerns are awesome! Yeah, and not, like, I... uh, I mean, I don't want to say, like, I love Westerns. There are westerns I love, but it's hard. To, there's so many shitty ones. Oh yeah, there's a lot of oh, really yeah. boring ones. Oh yeah. Um, like if you like, I I have a um, like you'll find like those like collections of like public domain movies. Like I have got like the fifty horror film collection. Yeah. Which is you know all of your standard <laughs> fucking you know <laughs> public domain horror movies are there, but then there I've also got one that's like fifty western collection, and. Are there a lot of pre-stagecoach John Wayne movies? Uh, yeah, there's a good amount of those. I haven't seen any of those. There, there's a lot of just like, you know, there's Roy Rogers stuff. There's like, so many of those are just, I, I haven't I haven't watched like many of them. I tried a couple, but they were just, you know, It's weird how many, boring. how many like admittedly shitty horror movies I'll sit through. <laughs> right. And end up loving, even though I'm aware that they're not good. But, but then Western is like, just oh, like, oh, uh, yeah, put you right to sleep. And they churned them out like so many of them like back in it and there'd be a lot of crossover with like actors and like directors and stuff of like horror movies and western movies in the 30s and 40s because they were both kind of viewed as just like these like cheap things to just throw out by like monogram and prc yeah you got your back you got your back lot with your just like (laughs) your one western you know strip and you can just film there all day all night and (laughs) And like silent Wise, um, I think the earliest one I've seen. Well, Great Train Robbery. I was going to say the earliest one. Um, <laughs> Great Train Robbery. Yeah, that Western class that I took. I think it, it was like kind of like um, the tagline, I guess, for it. it was like from the Great Train Robbery to Deadwood. <laughs> um. But anyway, uh, yeah, there's Great Train Robbery. But as far as like features go, Hell's Hinges. I got to see that on a big screen. That was, I think, 1916. And I was surprised that that was actually really great. Um, it was awkward, though. There was no live score or anything with it. It was just completely silent. Oh, that's weird. And it was kind of early in the day, and I hadn't eaten, so my stomach <laughs> kept like... Because it was... It, I went with a class, so it was a completely empty theater, except for two rows of just like me and my classmates and our professor. And it's just like dead silence, and it's just like... Yeah, and like I don't know how much of that other people could hear, but it was. But the movie itself was really good. And then I saw the Iron Horse, the the John Ford silent film, the building of the railroads. But um, yeah, um, so that's my experience with westerns. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, like I growing up, my dad was a fan of westerns, and he had um like True Grit. Um, which I had seen I'm not a, huge a couple fan times when I was a kid. Um, I'm not a huge fan of either True Grit. They're I like them. They're good. But it's definitely not my one of my any of my favorites. Yeah. Um, so there was True Grit, and then you know my dad was was a big Clint Eastwood fan, and he would talk about um, you know uh, every which way but loose and Dirty Harry and like you know all those things, and so he was. Always sort of like trying to get me into uh, things like like I was saying like he 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 got me High Plains Drifter and uh, those types of things 
Um, but yeah, it wasn't until I guess when I was in high school that I picked up um, Sergio Leone's uh, Dollars Trilogy and uh, watched... Was it the Man With No Name box set? Was that was that where you... Uh... No, they were like um, individual there were like three different DVDs that were like packaged together um, which I then replaced later on um, but uh, yeah they were pretty bare bones copies of those um, but uh, yeah and I really loved those and uh, yeah I graduated high school and then I was in that class at uh, at ACC and that's when it, two of the well the three filmmakers were Alfred Hitchcock John Ford and Clint Eastwood so between John Ford and Clint Eastwood, I was suddenly infused with like a whole yeah. lot of great westerns. You know, <laughs> I was watching Stagecoach and Searchers. Saw those for the first time, and um, uh, Fort Apache, Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, um, and then I sort of you know went off on my own and watched just like you know some other stuff, and. Uh, yeah, I was I was like really way into like westerns at that time. I mean, the class definitely definitely helped. But you um, also they they showed Bird for the Eastwood part too. Yeah, yeah, Bird was one of them, which is um gosh, is that Forrest Whitaker in that movie? I'm having such a hard that time. That sounds right. It's I watched it once and it was I sat in on that class with you one day. I was just randomly in town at one point. Well, yeah, it's a it's a it's a biopic about Charlie Parker, um, the jazz saxophonist. But I'm trying to remember. Yeah, okay, it is for yeah, it's Forrest Whitaker as Charlie Bird Parker. Yeah, what was funny about that is the teacher, Mr. Cavaluzzi. He was he went professor on yeah, professor. Yeah, we watched the movie on Laserdisc. Yeah, because I think at the time that was it was probably on VHS, but Laserdisc was probably like the best version out there or whatever but he went on this whole spiel about aspect ratio and how like you know you can choose a filmmaker can choose the aspect ratio depending on the needs of the film like it doesn't have to be 16 by 9 all the time you can you know do different formats and he was talking about how like bird you know like was shot in a full frame aspect ratio 4 by 3 and he was going on about how you know how you know it suits the story and it was you know this it was this choice that Clint Eastwood made and so we watched the movie like that on this laser disc copy but then years later I saw the movie on DVD I picked it up and I looked on the back and I was like oh this is in widescreen yeah and then I looked it up online and I'm like okay yeah no it definitely is like yeah what, no it was shot in widescreen a commercial American film in the 80s was gonna be full frame like it, that's yeah I feel like he just had the laser disc and was like, oh, it's full frame. This the movie must have been shot that way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh... Which, that actually surprises me, because I was not really familiar with Laserdisc, but I remember, like, everybody talking about, um, like, you know, how great it was at the time, like, before DVDs came along. So I always assumed that they were in widescreen. So it was weird when I found out, oh, Laserdiscs are super expensive. They didn't even bother to make it the right aspect ratio. I mean, there were, like, you know, letterboxed, laser discs and stuff but I think I watched Tremors on Letterbox 
and that was full screen, which that's an odd, I don't know. It seems like a waste. Like, if we're going to take the time to make something Laserdisc. Yeah. The, the, the main thing I remember about Bird was that the movie, and I think it had to do with the fact that it was on Laserdisc and whatever projector we were using, but it was just so, the image was very dark, and I yeah. couldn't really, like, it's kind of hard to see. That one, I should, you know, maybe that one's due for a rewatch at some point, but. Now that I've mentioned it, Tremors, that's another Western that I watched growing up. Uh, yeah, you could call I'd that throw a Western. That in there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's enough of the tropes to make it, like, you know. And also Back to the Future Part 3. Mm hmm. Which is the first time I think. Uh, I kind of had a vague idea of who Clint Eastwood was growing up, but they specific like, Marty McFly calls himself Clint Eastwood when he goes back in time right. to the. To 1885 and I think that was like uh, the first time I was aware of like oh Clint Eastwood he's like this iconic cowboy guy he's a cowboy guy which is a weird like (laughs) uh, I don't know yeah I feel like that was around the time like yeah so I bought a bunch of Clint Eastwood movies and I ended up watching them and you were showing me your list of movies that you own and haven't watched yet, mm-hmm. and I feel like you also bought a lot of Clint Eastwood movies at that yeah, time. Yeah, well, they but... were, like, super cheap in, like, the Walmart bargain bins yeah, and stuff. Yeah, like 50 and, Yeah, so I was just picking them up, and there's, uh, there's a fair amount of them that I haven't watched yet. <clears throat> um, yeah, mostly, like, his non-Westerns and stuff. But Josie Wales was one that just, you know, slipped by me, and I didn't... I hadn't watched it until the preparation for this episode and uh i'm really glad that i finally (laughs) took the time to actually watch it because it's a great film i really really liked it a lot and it's a um it's an it's sort of an important piece of uh not like of clint eastwood's filmography and clint eastwood's image of of his western hero because he kind of has his you know it's a very distinct character that he's sort of crafted throughout uh his whole career and you see different shades of it in you know through whether it's he's playing the man with no name in leone's films or if it's you know his own stuff or you know (laughs) maybe the the one that i can think of that's decidedly not hit that uh iconic eastwood western hero i guess would be like paint your wagon Oh yes, paint your wagon. Which is uh, a <laughs> musical, yeah. And it's very. Uh, <clears throat> I was, <laughs> well, I was kind of busting uh, Eastwood's comedic chops earlier, but um, that movie is the closest that I've seen to him in like a comedy. Well, there's the ever, there's like every which way but loose. And I haven't it, seen those movies. With Clyde, it's been way too it? long. Yeah, we rented it. Like my dad was excited about it. Like when I was a kid, and we rented it one day. People of a certain age get very excited when that movie comes up in conversation. Yeah, it's a very dad movie. Yeah, <laughs> aren't aren't some <laughs> like movies Ken just Shack. like dad movies? Yeah. <laughs> well, when I told uh, Kayla that we were going to be watching this, um, she was like, "Oh, my dad loves Outlaw Josie Wales," and. Uh, so I think Josie Wales could kind of be considered like a dad. Well, I mean, Clean Eastwood is just like, he's a dad's man. <laughs> yeah, you see a lot of, um, I feel like a lot of his movies go on sale around Father's Day. Oh, yeah, for sure, <laughs> for sure. I, I, I think, like, I, it was last year or two years ago, at Walmart, there was, like, 
you know how because there's this trend nowadays where like they'll re-release DVDs with like a cardboard slipcover that's like specific to whatever the hell they're trying to they'll make them like uniform for like they'll they'll sort of put together like a random collection of movies it's just at Walmart right I don't see that anywhere else yeah where like most recently over Christmas they had like Christmas sweater variant sleeves of just like a random assortment of movies but anyway I, I it was like Last year or two years ago, yeah, at Walmart, I saw they had a whole bunch of Clint Eastwood movies with those sleeves on that were like, Father's Day, you know? <laughs> um, which is just so weird to, like, I don't know, give somebody a gift that's like, that says Father's Day on it. It just seems very thoughtless to me. I feel like it was either TNT or TBS. At one point, they used to have... Um like some of the movies they would show they would have on the commercial for like movies for guys who like movies and they would often have Clint Eastwood because they were like guy movies well I mean I will say I mean is there anybody like cooler than fucking Clint Eastwood in a western in one of these westerns he's just like the coolest friggin dude Yeah, I'm trying to think. I mean, it helps that um, not not a lot of people made westerns after the time when he came to prominence. So. Yeah, he kind of. I mean, he, yeah, really um, picked up the the torch that was sort of left by John Wayne. And uh, yeah, there wasn't really anybody else in competition. Yeah, and like John Wayne was still making movies, but yeah, all the way up to there was the Shootist, which was which the same was his year final as... film. Yeah, this is seventy six, right? But or then no. after that, he did. Um, didn't he do something after that? Was it the last one? I I thought it was the, that the Shootist was the last oh, okay. one. Which that's a really uh, it's an interesting movie to watch. Yeah, if that was the last one, that would be good because that's a good way to end it. Yeah. It's, um, and I guess I could get into spoiler territory, but, um, the shootist, I think definitely had like an influence on, uh, Clint Eastwood. If you compare the shootist with Gran Torino, I remember seeing Gran Torino in the theater when it came out and being really excited because I had seen the shootist before and he does things in Gran Torino that mirror things that John Wayne did in The Shootist because at the time that Gran Torino came out that was to be like Clint Eastwood's final acting performance and he was going to retire from acting and just focus on directing and whereas Unforgiven was sort of like that was the last western that he's appeared in and it was sort of the the end of the Eastwood western hero that was like his final word on who that character is and what the Western means to him and, and everything that he, everything he has to say about the Western is kind of like finished and unforgiven. Um, in that same way, Gran Torino is kind of the end of Eastwood as like an action hero. You know, it's like the end of Dirty Harry. It's the end of, you know, any of those, uh, you know, action movies that he made. Um, And yeah, so there are some things that he that he does in uh, Gran Torino that mirror 
John Wayne in The Shootist that I thought was really cool because it's kind of like he's he was well aware of like his iconic status as like somebody like John Wayne and playing with it. I just double checked and yeah, The Shootist was John Wayne's last movie. For some reason, I thought Rooster Cogburn was, but that was seventy five the year before. Yeah, and The Shootist is also interesting too because you got like uh, little part like bit parts and cameos from of like. Jimmy Stewart shows up, and he looks really, really old. <laughs> and well, then, he was uh, really, yeah. really old. And then, like, John Carradine shows up, and he's, like, really old. And it's just, like, it feels like there's this whole era of Hollywood that's just, like, saying goodbye. Making way for Ron Howard. And you got Ron Howard in the movie as, like, the young kid who's, like, you know, yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a cool movie to watch. And it, yeah. Shoes is directed by Don Siegel, who worked with um, Eastwood on a lot of movies like Escape from Alcatraz and um, did he do the he didn't do the Dirty Harry movie he did, did Dirty he? Harry he did Dirty okay yeah. yeah he did Dirty Harry I've only seen the first Dirty Harry movie yeah so yeah there's all these cool little connections to be made there um, but we're talking about Josie Wales are we <laughs> <laughs> I really like the way this movie looked. It makes... One thing about Clint Eastwood as a, a filmmaker is he makes it look so easy. Yeah, right? Like, looking at it, it's like, oh, I could just go outside and aim a camera and at something that looks beautiful, and it would just be beautiful. And, like... Yeah, and especially when you hear other people talk about his working process or if you see him on the set or whatever, because it, everyone's just like, you know... Yeah, he just does, like, you know... Maybe he'll do two takes. <laughs> And he's very like very soft spoken, very low key. He's very just like you know, okay, yeah, we'll just uh, we'll do that again. And, uh, all right, good cut, looks good. Moving on. And he's he always comes in under budget and under you know, under deadline. And yeah, it makes it look freaking easy. Was there any? Uh... Like, I wouldn't be surprised if somebody told me that they didn't use any lights on this movie at all. <laughs> that they just used, like, reflectors and stuff, and, like... Yeah, just everything just looks... Sources. Yeah, very natural. Like, all the interior scenes are, like, really dark, because, you know, the sun's just coming in the windows. Yeah. And... Definitely is... feels very naturalistically lit. Which is a... Again, it's a very 70s movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I like it. I mean, th this is the movie that I really feel like you see Clint Eastwood coming into the directorial role like fully fully formed mm. it seems I mean now I have only, I'm saying this having only seen High Plains Drifter before but he had done Play Misty for me was his first directorial film which I still haven't seen yeah and I have not seen High Plains Drifter was his second and then I believe he did um, Breezy one or two more in between Breezy was around there somewhere this is the earliest of his directorial efforts that I've seen. Okay. Oh, uh, uh, Josie Wales is? Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, so, I mean, at least comparing it to High Plains Drifter, which I think is fair because it is a, uh, you know, that was his first... Okay, yeah, he did he did Breezy and the Iger Sanction. Is High Plains Drifter uh, similar to, like, his Leone films in style? 
it's it's more similar to Leone, yeah. Whereas this movie, it feels less like Leone, more classical uh, uh, Western in a way. It feels like sort of a fusion of like the the old kind of like John Ford style and like a Leone, where um, it's not as uh, romanticized vision of the West at all. But like just the look of it, it reminds me more of like a John Ford style of shooting it. Yeah. Where it's a much more restrained style, whereas Leone is all about these like these zooms and extreme close-ups and these quick cutting and all this kind of stuff. It's very like big and and, and the tension you know, building. Yeah. Over the course and of this, like ten minutes. Yeah, and this like score that's just like driving and you know getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Whereas this is a yeah, just much more restrained and controlled, um, and it just yeah re- reminds me more of like a John Ford style. But unlike John Ford, this is a very grim and much darker and more uh, grounded and realistic vision of the West. Um, oftentimes, I mean, John Ford can be very a uh, little candy coated in his ideas. Sentimental, yeah, it's very yeah sentimental. But it does one thing. It does that can be found in uh, a lot of the Ford films is you have sort of like this new family being built over the course of the film, and like by the end, it's like we've got our own civilization here now. Right. Yeah. To an extent, because how do you what? do you feel happens at the ending how, how would you say this movie ends in the in the very last the moment very end yeah well because it's kind of left a little uh ambiguous i mean i feel like the movie sort of sets it up sets up the idea that josie wales is is going to die mm-hmm. if we were to if we were to see beyond the credits beyond that freeze frame at the very end like that's I, the moment he falls off his horse. I think he's yeah. I think he's like he's okay. de- he's dead. Yeah, I think like you know we see him shot, and I think we we see Fletcher seeing the blood. He knows that like he's he you know he's not gonna make it. Yeah. Um. And you know it's like it he's he's completed his mission. You know he's got his revenge for his family. He's brought justice to that injustice Mm. that was really the only thing that was like keeping him going I don't think even the even the promise of a new family I don't think is enough for somebody like Josie Wales to it's uh, like spoilers for the searchers right it's like Ethan Edwards played by John Wayne he like reunites this family Mm -hmm. and then he just leaves yeah, he's just, done. He and he probably just goes off and dies alone somewhere. Yeah. Um, Even though he's not mortally wounded at the at the end of that. No. He just he's just done. He just turns around and just walks off into the desert. Yeah. yeah th- this um this movie is interesting also because before this you've had you've got his uh, Clint Eastwood's role as the man with no name. Which is, you know, although technically 
He had names. He had names. <laughs> Joe Blondie. Joe and, Blondie uh, and yeah, because it's Joe in the in the first one. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I'm, I want to say like Bill or something, but I can't. I, I don't know if that's real. I can't remember. But yeah, he does technically have names in those movies, but he doesn't. You don't know like any part of his backstory. It's left, you know, completely ambiguous of what his like motivations are. Outside of just like being like a bounty hunter, Monko. He played Monko in Monko. for a few dollars more. Okay. Not to be confused with another Italian western from a year later called For a Few Extra Dollars. <laughs> <laughs> I did not know that that existed. Um. And then when he was in uh, High Plains Drifter, in which yeah he directed it, but he also stars in it. That's a movie where he is a, he pretty much playing the man with no name. He had he, he's like it's you know there's no personal story going on. This movie, however, like we there's a there's a person there mm. with you know with a life before the uh, the outlaw and. With uh, with real wants and desires and needs and things like that. It sort of puts him in the shoes of another character from a Leone film that Eastwood was not in. Which is um, like the, the farmer at the beginning of Once Upon a Time in the West. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But what's interesting is that like, even with all that added backstory of Josie Wales, when it comes to actually him being like the outlaw... He's essentially playing <laughs> the same character that he's played in all four of those movies previously. Yeah. And that's not a complaint because <laughs> it's a it's a, you know, it's a great character, it's a cool character. But um it is interesting that like Clint Eastwood just has this like very specific way of playing his western characters. Pale Rider changes up that formula uh, quite a bit because in that movie he's actually playing a priest um, so there's kind of a much different dynamic going on and then in Unforgiven it kind of you know he really has like a backstory which kind of it reminds me more of Josie Wales with his kind of story going on there mm. um, but yeah I mean he brings a real heart and soul to Josie Wales, and he's a very sympathetic character, but like that's sort of despite these this very this like real harshness to him, and it's interesting because it's like in the movie he is like going out of his way to help uh, other people, but yeah. in a very like kind of like cold and uh, cut off kind like, of way. God damn it! You can't help yourself. All right, fine, I'll do it. Yeah, and even after you know he's like, like oh I suppose this dog wants to come along too, he's like he's constantly spitting at the dog, this like, uh you know his chewing tobacco yeah spits on the dog's forehead right in right in the middle of his forehead, <laughs> um, and it's it is interesting because it's like it's the uh, there's that old sort of trope and I can't remember who to attribute it to, but the idea of uh, kicking the dog. 
when you establish your, and I think it's within the context of Westerns, when you establish your, your hero and your villain, it's like when you're walking into the saloon, you put a dog outside. When the hero walks in, he'll maybe pat the dog on the head or throw him a bone or something. When the villain walks in, he, you know, tells the dog to get and kicks at it and, you know, whatever. And that's, you know, that's how you establish your, <laughs> the, the broad strokes of like your hero and villain. Um, and in this is, he's just like, he's, I mean, the spitting is an interesting thing. It's, it's just over and over and over and over again in the yeah. movie. Um, but yeah, he's spitting at everyone. He's spitting at the dog. He's, I feel like that's part of the, not the spitting, but the spitting on the dog thing. Like, I feel like that's again, what makes this such a seventies movie is that you have that, um, like from like, let's say like Bonnie and Clyde to star Wars. Uh, like anything in between those two movies, it's like the heroes are villains, the villains are heroes, and all this stuff, and like right. you, you can just like get away with that. And there's definitely examples before and after, but I mean, like it seemed like the norm in that era. Yeah, it's kind of funny. I I actually recently just watched Bonnie and Clyde and uh, and the French Connection, which kind of falls in there too. Definitely. <laughs> um, the good guys are terrifying. The French Connection. <laughs> yeah. You know what is your take on like? On the on the spitting, in real life, I am against it. Well, I mean, it's disgusting, but like just within the context of this movie and like thematically, you know, he like shoots a man, spits on his forehead, and that's an image that we see twice. Like him spitting on the corpse of somebody he's just killed. Um, there's a scorpion crawling up. He spits on it. He's riding by on his horse. He spits off, and it lands on a dung beetle. He's just like it's just constantly happening. Um, and then you've got the old lady when the time that he doesn't spit. Yeah, like the one time. Which, like she's like talking about cleaning up the old house and everything. And I don't think anything's even said. It's just he clearly is about to spit. Yeah. And then they like make eye contact and he like swallows it. Yeah. And um, I feel like the spitting throughout the movie has been just, you know, clearly a, a sign of disrespect. And that in that moment where he chooses to swallow chewing tobacco, it's like, oh, he actually has respect for something. And it's this home where people are about to be living. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Have you ever seen a scorpion in uh, real life? Like a... I've seen a dead scorpion in real life. Like frozen in like amber or something. But not just like running around in the wild no, or anything. No, like, not cause I never thought of them as something that would be. Uh... Where are they exactly? Well, I think in that point they're in Texas, right? Because that's when he goes and he meets um, the uh, the chief. Okay, so they all right, yeah. Okay. And that's another thing that scares me about the South: scorpions. Yeah, scorpions. I don't yeah. want to go down there. I just recently found out that there's rattlesnakes, rattlesnakes. in New York. Oh, yeah. I always thought yeah. of them as a southwestern thing, and then uh, it was no, just a few years yeah. ago I started hiking, and people yeah. were like, "Watch out for rattlesnakes!" Thought they were joking. Nope. No, they're they're up on mountains yeah. and stuff. So now I just stay inside. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, down yeah, you got scorpions, and I mean, you can't even say spiders because like we got brown recluse spiders up here. That'll you know melt. Where can I melt, go? Melt your friggin' arm off. The snakes are outside. The spiders are inside. Yeah, I mean, you you've heard about. Well, like, Tim Oakley's dad got bit by a brown recluse. 
it was like the weekend of Tim and Beth's wedding, actually. And Tim's dad got, he was like mowing the lawn or something and got bit by a brown recluse. And then like that night he woke up in like terrible pain and his arm was like totally fucked up. Like they nearly had to like amputate it off. Oh shit. Nate got bit by a brown recluse on his leg and it looked like absolute death. I remember that. Yeah. Don't mess with that. Yeah, let's talk about something else. I don't <laughs> like this. I don't like this at all. Um, well, you, you just brought up um, the uh, the First Nations people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the the character who his his companion there. Um, what is that character's name? Chief. He he's uh, Josie Wales just calls him Chief. Yeah, I forget his actual name because I just the actor is Chief Dan George. Chief Dan George. So I just keep thinking of him in that way. I don't remember what his actual character is. Well, we'll just call him Chief. Sure. Um, this is a couple years after he was in Harry and Tonto. He played Tonto. <laughs> no, I think Tonto was a cat in that movie. It's been a long time. Tonto was a cat. He didn't play a cat. I'm saying, I think... That... Have you ever seen Harry and Tonto? No. I haven't seen it in a long time. Um... I believe Tonto was the name of a cat. Chief Dan George was in it, though. How do you feel about the way Chief Dan George's character was portrayed? Well, I mean, I... Uh, I should say in the context of the Western genre up to that point. Also, Yeah, I mean, it definitely is a... Uh, well, we, we, we just watched this behind-the-scenes uh, featurette mm-hmm. about it, and a lot of the uh, the cast and crew were talking about um, kind of specifically his character and how one of the things that attracted uh, Clint Eastwood to the, the the story, which was it was based on a book, was the depiction of the native peoples as being fully rounded characters that had like a sense of humor and weren't just like the you know the stoic stone-faced monolithic you know up on a horse uh you know how (laughs) even in films that attempt to portray native americans sympathetically they would often still fall back on Mm -hmm. stereotypes like there are several john ford westerns where especially like later in his career where he was like wow i wasn't really looking at this from both sides early on i'm gonna try to you know right so he goes and makes like cheyenne autumn and yeah but even in some of those films it's uh i imagine it's a little hard for like native americans now to watch them but yeah i mean i loved his character yeah he um, um i mean he's just uh just a wacky old man yeah he's <laughs> living a, yeah i like you know when we first see him he's like dressed like abraham lincoln yeah with his big top hat and you know and then he sets it on fire yeah and he's like fuck this I'm going to be me. I'm mm-hmm. going to do it out on the road with my new friend, Josie. <laughs> and then there's Ten Bears that he makes the truce with. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's played by Will Sampson from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Right. Uh, and also Robert Altman's Buffalo Bill and the Indians or Sitting Bull's History Lesson. Um, and... It's a very, I haven't seen Will Sampson in a lot of stuff. He basically plays very 
quiet Native Americans in all his movies that I've seen. <laughs> and he does it well here. Yeah, I mean, I like uh, I like that part of the movie because up until then, you know, part, part of the fun of watching Josie Wales is seeing him get into these situations where you're just like, well, how the hell is he going to get out of this one? Yeah. And then seeing him outsmart and outwit his... Uh, his would-be captors yeah and uh or and oftentimes involving you know just killing everybody <laughs> there just like you know laying waste and you know shooting everyone and then this uh when he comes to the uh yeah to the, the to the indigenous tribe uh you're almost expecting it to go down like that because we've seen him sort of do it before where he's in you know faced with seemingly insurmountable odds and somehow you know he's got some trick up his sleeve to shoot everyone <laughs> um but this he just uses logic and he's like guys like we're, we're both in a similar situation you know like and we can work together and he, he basically in that scene it's like oh that's how this country should have been <laughs> Yeah, totally. <laughs> this is that's what we should have been doing like, look, for the like, past couple hundred years. Yeah, we can live over here. You can live there. We can live on the same land and just like we can we share resources. We, we won't can just, kill like, more than we need. Yeah, and like we just, just you know, we want to just choose life. Do we really need to kill each other over and over and over again? And he's like, you know, ten bears is like, yeah, you know, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, this movie is a very, like we we spoke earlier about like conservative and liberal and whatnot. But this is like a libertarian movie. I could see them showing this at like a tea party, not a rally, but like, a, like a bunch of people who have the "Don't Tread on Me" flag in front of their house. I could see them getting really behind this because it's very anti-government. Yeah, it's pro, you know, like basically just people look out for themselves. But if somebody else really needs help and you just you know it's up to the people not the government um and uh and most problems can be solved with a gun <laughs> yeah <laughs> and i personally am not a libertarian but that doesn't really affect my enjoyment of this film i, I do think it is a very good film no and i think like even that uh that idea of just like you know why do you need you know, just an overbearing government lining you all up and like, like at the beginning of the movie, like, okay, now we're going to repeat after me. Like, I yeah. swear I won't do this and I will do that and blah, blah, like blah. every morning in school, I pledge allegiance to the yeah. flag. And it's just like, let me just have my house over here and let me just <laughs> like, you know, yeah, just live. And it was a trap. And it's like, you know, he, you know, Josie Wales, he he didn't want to get involved in the civil war at all it seemed he had absolutely no interest in it he wanted to punish the red legs who slaughtered his wife and son and burned his uh, his house down you know and it's like and that's that's what uh you know politics will get you just that kind of destruction When you become so divided that it's just like you don't you're not even caring about what gets destroyed in your wake. Yeah. We never really 
uh, I'm not recalling any sort of close up of his wife at the beginning. She's just kind of like this distant person. Yeah. And then later he meets uh, the girl played by Sandra Locke. Could that have been her in Longshot? Like I'm like not the, even like the actress uh, playing her. Yeah. Like I'm wondering if it was just I like I don't think so. Only I I, I can't only because uh when I in the end credits I saw who was credited as Oh okay. M- like Mrs. Wales or whoever whoever it was supposed to be. I, I thought I saw like another actress. Oh, okay. Cuz I don't even remember what she looked like. I just No, I mean cuz like, oh, you don't get a, you don't get a good look at her yeah. at her at all. Like you see his son early on. We sort of open on on his son. Yeah. And we get kind of a good, you know, medium close up of him. But, uh, yeah, we see her really far away. It almost is like that scene, because of the way that shot, you don't really get a good look at anyone. Even, like, even the uh, the, the, the red legs and the, the people who, you know, like the guy, um, what's his name? Uh, Ty- Tyrell? Like the main, like, villain? Yeah, the main guy. villain, who is apparently the guy who scars right. uh, Josie. You don't even really get a good look at him. Which I thought was kind of interesting because, especially because he's a character that becomes important later on. At least I don't think so. I mean, you get at least one close-up of him in the in the beginning, like raid on the mm. house. It all just happens in a flurry that it's just like you're not really. I wonder if they didn't really um, show much detail of his wife in that first scene because. It might have made people, like, not receptive to him being with the girl later. Because they'd be thinking about this, like, other woman. Hmm. Well, I, I don't know. I kind of think about it as being, like, that that moment that of the raid is almost like we're seeing it... Like, everything up to after the post-opening credits is kind of just, like, this memory that Josie Wales has that we're sort of seeing. Yeah. So it's kind of just all hazy and kind of, like... You know, even during when the raid is happening, it's very kind of muddled together, and yeah. it's just like, um, it's just his like kind of like PTSD flashback. Yeah, and then later he actually has one of those. Yeah, and it's interesting that like you know here is a war veteran. His flashback is not the war. No, his flashback is to what made him go into the war. Yeah, and I like how in the opening credits, like we you know we see the raid, we see his family get killed, he buries his family. And then the Confederates show up, and they're like, we're going to hunt down the Red Legs. And he's like, I'm coming with you. And then we have this little montage of them just, like, you know, riding real fast, shooting. And we're, you know, seeing, like... But then we're also seeing, like, almost like these, like... It looks like schoolroom reenactments of, like... like It looks like some sort of reenactment video you just watch in school of, like, the Civil War. And it's all in black and white. And it's, like... You know these. You know, and you're getting like the, the marching music and everything. And when when we come out of the opening credits, it like there's this transition where it's in black and white, and then it kind of fades to color. I thought it was kind of I don't know. It's kind of interesting because it just feels like there's this romanticized version of like the Civil War or something. This like this black and white version of it, but then it's like we come to color and it's like the like the reality of the situation or something, or it's just the the war that. is just like a blur. Yeah, and it's not like 
what's really uh, important to Josie Wales. I don't know. I thought it was it was an interesting uh, way to do it. I uh, forgot about this moment until you just talked about him burying his family when the wife's hand falls out of the bag. Oh, I thought that was the kid's hand. Oh, okay. Because it looked that. like a like a really tiny arm, like it almost looked like a child's arm. Okay, see, I thought like a frail woman. But oh, okay. It, okay, well, yeah, it could have been. I just uh, oh, okay. So either way, but it is just like, <laughs> oh yes, yeah, very striking image and just awful. And then he just kind of like, there's a pause, and then yeah. he puts it back in, and then he just holds the bag a little differently to keep it in, and then starts pulling again. And it's great because it's like it's all. It's just one shot. We don't cut away. We don't see his reaction to it. We're just seeing his feet yeah. dragging the, the bag, and then the arm falls out. Yeah, and then you just that pause, and it's just like you're just filling in the, the, just the reaction to it. Um, yeah, really effective and well done. I don't know much about Sandra Locke, the actress... Uh... I guess the lead actress, you could say. Um, She's billed that way. She kind of shows up relatively later in the movie. Yeah. Um, but she becomes the uh, sort of uh, romantic interest. She's romantically interested in Josie, and there is like this shared attraction. Hmm. But, you know, he's not really... Uh, he can't have that life. Yeah, like I don't know much about like the real life stuff between them. I just know that they were a couple. They did like six films together. Um, I'm not super trustful of IMDb trivia. <laughs> but yeah. One of the things when I was skimming through was that like uh, one of the reasons why the original director Philip Kaufman, uh, went, like what asked one of the issues that he had with, with Eastwood was that both of them at one point were like asking her out. Really, huh? That's IMDb trivia. I don't. I don't know. Well, you, you I don't source that stuff. They just anybody can just write something there. Yeah. When I well, when I was watching the movie last night, she popped up, and I was like, "Oh, right, isn't that uh, like Clint Eastwood's wife?" And so I looked it up, and I was like, "Okay, they were never actually married. They were a couple for like a long time, though. I think like at least ten years or something. Like from, and I think they started. Yeah, they started dating in." during the production of Josie Wales and their relationship lasted through the 80s I believe so they were like Woody Allen and Mia Farrow and it ended ugly their their relationship I saw that the name of her book she wrote was like the good the bad and the very ugly yeah well there yeah there you go <laughs> um yeah I mean you know I don't I don't know the the whole story of it all i just read what was on wikipedia essentially but um yeah i mean it ended with lawsuits and all sorts of stuff so which is unfortunate she has a very ethereal quality to her yeah, i think this is the only looks, film i've seen that she's in she almost looks like alien or something but ethereal is a much more uh like complimentary angelic. yeah angelic <laughs> something about her like the shape of her head and her eyes just made me think of like she just looks like a like a gray alien okay <laughs> she's absolutely beautiful uh, and it, um 
I feel like it makes it that much harder to watch the uh, the attempted rape. Oh man, yeah, that's rough. And it like that that scene of uh, there's all like the uh, yeah, who were they? Were they, were they Mexican? Comancheros. Comancheros, uh, band. They're raiding the uh, the the caravan, and um, they pull out this piano, revealing. Sandra Locke cowering in the back mm. and there's the the, 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 the build up there is actually very Leone-esque when you think about it because it's just like it's slow, silent, you're just focusing on all these faces of all these leering dirty, disgusting men as they slowly all kind of converge on this caravan and they're all just staring at her and uh, I was thinking when I when that ha- what was happening, I was just like is there anything just more terrifying than like seeing all those fucking guys being, being like you know you know what's about to happen next and then yeah they grab her and start tearing her cl- her clothes and uh, yeah it's, uh, it's pretty terrifying yeah and then uh, they're sort of called off by I guess their leader and he says something like you know if you need to do something like that take the old woman because mm-hmm. we, we're going to keep this girl fresh so we can sell her for more cattle or whatever. And then, like, it cuts to, like, them being, like, uh, sort of, like, tied up to the back of a wagon or something, like, being pulled along. So there's, like, this little time jump there. Do you think the old woman was raped? Do you think they were like, okay, fine, we'll go rape the old woman? It's possible. It's like, I didn't really think about it until this moment. I, don't, I didn't I don't, think about it either. I don't like thinking about it. I don't it. like thinking about it. <laughs> I, I liked her. I liked I liked both of them. But it's like this is the yeah, this is the depiction of, you know of what life in the old West probably was very much like, you know. This was the wild west. Yeah. Where I mean when we when we meet um uh Little Moonlight. Yeah. Um she was another you know, I mean she was being beaten by not her master, but her employer, at least. I mean, same difference, basically. Essentially, yeah. yeah. Um, and then there's an attempted rape on her as well. A lot of gritty stuff in this movie. A lot of... Yeah, it was a hard life. <laughs> hard life out there in the in the old west, for sure. Speaking of rape. Um... <laughs> As we always used to in a lot of our early episodes. Yeah, that I mean, what? man, if you were to like transcribe all the episodes and then just do like a word search for rape, it probably comes up uh, way too many times than it ever should. Well, one of those early episodes was on the movie Deliverance, mm-hmm. and um, one of those actors shows up in here. One of those mountain men. Oh, was he one of the dudes who? Um, Shows up to get the ransom money, or not the ransom, the uh, the the bounty money, and is uh, see, I thought so. Killed and by Jamie when he's laying in the on the, like, on the on the ground. Like that's not the, they're not the ones I'm talking about, but like that moment did remind me a lot of Deliverance. Yeah, for sure. But it's actually uh, the actor Bill McKinney who plays the main villain. Oh, um, Terrell or Terrell, T- Terrell or T- yeah. yeah. Terrell. Yeah, something like that. 
Um, but he plays Mountain Man in Deliverance just a few years before this. Mm. Uh, you mentioned um, Jamie. What did you think of him, Sam Bottoms, in this movie? I thought he was great. I thought he brought a lot to the role that, uh, you know, he doesn't, he's in the movie very long, but it definitely leaves an impression. And you Which get. Which I forgot about that. I for like, because rewatching it after like a, a decade or so, I was mm-hmm. like, oh yeah, he teams up with this young boy and then they just go have this movie together. No, he's, he dies like very early on. Yeah, well, it kind of reminds me of um, Unforgiven. There's a similar kind of relationship yeah. with Clint Eastwood and this younger guy. I thought you were going to say Never Ending Story. Oh, why? Because the horse uh, dies early on, and then... I don't know, for some reason, I thought you were going to talk about the horse. You were going to compare him to the horse in the Never Ending Story. <laughs> Sorry, go yeah, on. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> Un- Unforgiven is a character similar, yeah. Yeah, there's a character that's similar <laughs> in Unforgiven that it reminded me of. Um, but no I mean you you know you get a sense of like who that guy really is that young kid essentially um, really quickly and you know by the time that he does die it's uh, it's very sad and like he uh, I don't know how old exactly that character is meant to be the actor is like 20 21 years old um, and he's clearly supposed to be like a teenager, and you yeah, just imagine 17, like eighteen something. And this is like the end of the war, so this kid has just—he has not had the experiences he should have been having. Yeah, and there's a great line um, that Josie Wales has when he's sort of eulogizing him, and he says, um, "You know, he was born into this age of blood and—I forget what the exact line is. He was born in this age of like blood and war, or whatever, and he." never knew anything different but you know never complained about it or something like that um now the way that so he uses his corpse basically to help get away yeah and um i could see like other movies maybe like older westerns or something where they'd be like well we can't do that that would be dishonorable or something like right but like i'm thinking about how it relates to like when that hand falls out of the bag or the way he spits on the corpses it's like he understands that like this this isn't that person this is the shell that person was in and uh he would have no qualms about just like doing whatever or even those people where it's like well the buzzer's gotta eat too yeah <laughs> buzzer's gotta eat just as well as the worms yeah or whatever. there's a lot of good one-liners in this movie. yeah absolutely <laughs> it's it, the script is great like there's so much great uh great stuff and and he's uh you know Josie Wales is definitely wordier than the man with no name it, it seems to me mm. um it's one one of the differences I guess there's one line I don't really like which seems to be uh every like Eastwood featurette or whatever that I've seen on various DVDs like they'll use this clip where he's uh where he, talk, where he spits on the dog and talks about it coming along with them. And he, he's like, everybody else is. And I just, I feel like that's such a, he's trying too hard to get the audience to be like, ha ha ha. It's those, like, it's those <laughs> classic Eastwood comedic <laughs> chops. I kind of know what you mean, actually. I, yeah, I kind of, I 
kind of feel what you're saying. It's one of those lines that makes it like a a dad movie, kind of like mm-hmm. I don't know. It's... Anyway, <laughs> at least he didn't break out into song like "Paint Your Wagon." Yes. Where are we going? I don't know. When will we get there? I ain't certain. All that I know is I am on my way. I don't know if I've seen that movie as much as you. <laughs> I've seen it. <laughs> I, I watched it one time and I was just like, I can say I've seen it now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've seen it at least twice for some reason. I don't know. What is his solo bit out in the woods about he's, sing- he's singing to the trees? Is he saying he's singing to the trees? Oh, man. I don't re- Yeah, I can't remember. Yeah, he's... Oh, shit. I just always think of this, the Simpsons episode where um, Bart and Homer rent a movie for the family to watch, and Homer's like, yeah, we're going to watch a guy movie. It's got Clint Eastwood and Lee Marvin. I've never seen it before, but these two badasses in a <laughs> Western, yeah. And they put it in, and it's like... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that movie, and it's, that's a long movie, too. Yeah. And it just goes on and on. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. <laughs> I've considered Paint Your Wagon as like a future episode, perhaps. That could be fun. Because it could be fun, but like then it's just like, we gotta watch Paint Your Wagon. <laughs> it's a big chunk out of a week. Um, some of the comedic bits that I did enjoy involved the old lady um, yeah she was cool because I was I, I was sort of afraid at first because when she's first introduced she's very like um, she got this hoity-toity attitude and blah 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 yeah. and so I w- thought that that was going to be like leaned into a bit and she would, she might just sort of become almost like a uh, like you know that woman at the beginning of Bride of Frankenstein <laughs> oh yes <laughs> mini yeah mini or um the woman in uh, invisible man i don't remember her name but, but anyway uno o'connor yeah yeah i thought that like she might i don't know could have gone in that direction with the character of just being like this oh thinks he's everyone just because he's a burger master <laughs> yeah. and it's very kind of, i don't know just loud and obnoxious and you know, trying to go for these laughs or whatever. But, uh... She I was taken down a notch when she's beaten and, and raped. And, yeah, yeah, puts her in her place. Like, uh, yeah. We're recording this a day after the Women's March, by the way. No, that's <laughs> all horrible. But, no, I was glad to see her, I don't know, being much more uh, grounded and humble and not so obnoxious to deal with. And I like the payoff of... Um, there's, she says something about Redskins, and then yeah. she says, like, no offense mm-hmm. to Chief Dan George, and then he says, none taken, and then later he says something about pale faces, and then he turns to her and says, no offense, and she says, none taken. Mm-hmm. But I like that whole end Like, racism where, isn't bad as long as everybody's racist. Yeah. Then it's okay. Right. <laughs> as long as you follow your racist statement with no offense, you're in the clear. <laughs> Yeah, that's how it works. Yeah, I I've, I feel like I know a lot of people who believe that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I work with some of them. <laughs> um, anyway, that that whole end sequence though, where like everybody's uh, joined together to shoot out the windows and stuff. Uh, I like that the uh, the teamwork of a team that just should not be winning. Mm-hmm. Like uh, 
you wouldn't think of like, yeah, we get these guys together, they're definitely going to fend off those raiders. No. Yeah, and it's like, and it's interesting because they essentially train to fight the Native Americans. Hmm. But when they're finally put into action, it's against the, you know, the Red Amer- Legs. The, the, the American government. The American government, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I like this, the people they find in the town. Like, it's basically this ghost town, and there's, there's just these, this group hanging out. And they're still all just, like, dressed up. Yeah, like, they're expecting somebody to show like, up. <laughs> Guys, any second someone's yeah. gonna come through those doors. They've been there for like years. It's like any second, and um, yeah, and uh, was Joyce Jameson is Rose, and I didn't recognize her at first. And I saw the credits, and I was like, oh, I I know her from like '60s AIP movies. Like she's in like um, Tales of Terror and the Comedy of Terrors with Peter oh, okay. and yeah, Vincent yeah, Price, yeah. and um, very attractive. And uh, this is like a decade later, and she's cute. <laughs> yeah, this is one day after the women's <laughs> march. Um, uh, she, I guess, died shortly after. She had a lot of issues, but um, shortly after Josie Wales. Yeah, like a few years oh. after, I guess. Um, yeah, because yeah, she's still, I mean, not old. In this no, she's like probably about. She's like mid forties or something. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it was like. Um, I think maybe drinking and stuff or something mm. like that. But, um, but I don't know. She's very fun in this. I liked her character. And, uh, yeah. yeah that whole group was fun. It's funny how it's, it's, they show up in the town and they're just like, we're going to go live in this house. Anybody want to come? And they're just like, yeah, let's all just go <laughs> live in this house together. Very kind of Muppet movie kind of feeling to it. Yeah. <laughs> Where they just keep, yeah. Well, it's a road movie. Yeah. yeah it's so a road it's movie like, and you just keep gathering, you know, g- gaining passengers and moving stuff. Moving right along. Exactly. Who was Ten Spot? He was one of those guys, right? Royal Dano? Oh. I knew I recognized him. Okay. okay. Royal Dano. Yeah, Royal Dano. He, um, he's in Twin Peaks. Yeah. Which is how I know the name and how I know the actor. I recognize... He, yeah, he's one of the dudes in the town. Um, he's the guy who, at the very end, he's telling the story... Um, about okay, the yeah. death of Josie Wales. Yeah. Um. And he's telling it to his Killer Clowns from Outer Space co-star, John Vernon. That's how I know those two actors. Uh, John Vernon and Royal Dano. It's like, oh yeah, those are the guys. Royal Dano, he was... Um, he's the farmer. The, the farmer, yeah, yeah, totally. When the meteor crashes. That's so funny. I did never realize that. Speaking of John Vernon... His yeah. character, Fletcher. Now, I didn't fully understand his motivations for just, like, turning on on Josie Wales. Was he... Did, how much did he know in, like, what... But, like, leading up to the, the massacre of, of their whole uh, troop, and why would he go along with trying to hunt down Josie Wales and why were the Union soldiers keeping him around it seems like the massacre like I feel like he was under the impression that they were just going to be like imprisoned or something right um 
and oh, I forget when it, there's something that happens that turns him against Josie Wales. It might just be like throughout you start to hear all these stories like, oh, Josie Wales did this, Josie Wales did this, which clearly we were, were watching him throughout the movie. He didn't do these things. Yeah. And, uh, maybe that just got back to him. Um, but he does, Fletcher just seems like, I mean, they would have killed him if he hadn't helped set up those people at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And then I think it's just like he knows Josie Wales so he can help him to track him. But man, he just sells everybody out. Yeah. Yeah. But he's... He's not happy about it. Yeah, but like, like but, some, no but we as the he... audience who are on board with Josie Wales... Right. I still kind of like him. Fletcher. Yeah. Even though like he's totally selling him out. He sold out his whole thing. I but think like it's he's... because he never shows any sign of happiness. Because it's always like this, this thing he's got to deal with for the rest of his life that he did this, mm. and he's just got a really great voice and really great eyes, especially in that shot where oh he yeah, reveal, where he lifts his hat up and yeah, like he like looks up out of the shadows and you see those blue eyes just like looking right at Josie. Yeah, that was a very Sergio Leone moment. I feel like most people know John Vernon from Animal House, which I you haven't seen. I've never seen it. And Animal I'm not a huge House. fan of it, but to me he's he's always gonna be Mooney from Killer Clowns. Um To me he'll always be the submariner. <laughs> yes, apparently he voiced the submariner on an animated series in the sixties. He was also in Topaz, the Hitchcock film, playing not Fidel Castro, but oh. basically he was playing Fidel Castro. But yeah, I've never seen Topaz. It's an interesting film. I've got to get to it at some point. And then there's also another Twin Peaks connection besides Royal Dano, which is Geraldine Keems, who plays uh, little uh, what's her face. Little Moonlight. Little Moonlight. Yeah, she has a small role in Twin Peaks as uh, the real estate agent that brings Dale Cooper to Dead Dog Farm. Royal Dana's only on like one episode of Twin Peaks too, right? Yeah, he is uh, the... um, He's a judge who shows up to... uh, to, to, Oh, it's it's Leo Johnson's uh, trial for like a Raymond or whatever. And they do this trial in the roadhouse. Okay. Yeah, it's all it's it's pretty brief, but <laughs> there's your there's your Twin Peaks connection <laughs> to the yeah, well, Josie Wales. Um, I wanted to bring up the uh, there is some pretty impressive uh, stunt work with the horses. Yeah, I wonder when did movies start having the thing at the end of the credits where it says like the SPCA or whatever was uh, yeah I don't know but the Humane Society because it, it makes me wonder in this movie because the way that the horses are tumbling off the back of the uh, the 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 raft in the river yes that was like I don't I can't guarantee that that was planned but... it doesn't look like it looks like yeah just kind of like it's bad enough when you got like pulling down the horses to like lay them down and hide. Well, that looks and like it's that's more of like a like a like a trained move, right? But 
But then you've got them just like tumbling off a raft. Tumbling off the raft. And then there's this other shot where like they're tumbling down a uh, hillside. Yeah. And this horse is just like rolling down the hill. And I was like, man, the thing with horses is like their legs are not the uh, the strongest. Yeah. You know, they've got kind of thin spindly legs. And I'm like, I was just kind of wincing like, oh, I hope that horse didn't break a leg. But it was it was an impressive like you know sight that's for sure. Yeah, I just you wonder how the horse was you, doing you afterwards. You wonder how the horse is doing. You yeah. Really put spitting on a dog in perspective. Yeah, and like the spitting on the dog, you know, it's like it's not the dog will be fine later. Fun to watch, and it's not like they're actually spitting chewing tobacco at the dog. I'm sure it's just like probably some. Uh, you don't think so? No. <laughs> what do you, how do you think they got it on its floor? They just squirted it. Why wouldn't they just spit it if they're there? Or do you think it's not chewing tobacco? I don't think it's chewing tobacco. It's oh, probably okay. some other thing that they probably squirted on him. Why? Because it was perfectly placed right in, on the forehead in between the eyes. It looked like it'd be something that you'd have to like plan just to be like, okay, dog, sit here, be still. And then I'm going to like <laughs> hawk a loogie on his head. Like that just seems not uh, very practical. But why not? But why couldn't it have been chewing tobacco? Even if they did like squirt it with like a little hose or something to, for aim... I mean, it could be, but I would just think, like, if you're not going to actually do it, because you don't actually see it happen. There's a cut there. Yeah. You don't see it all in one shot. So I'm like, okay. And, well, there's two things, because it's like, one, you see the dog kind of get hit with it in the head, and then it kind of cuts, and then you see, like, the aftermath of it. And I'm sure that aftermath shot is totally not chewing tobacco, because it would looked way too dark. Because probably if you, if you spit the chewing tobacco, it probably wouldn't look... It probably as splatter good. a little bit, you think? It, like it wouldn't look as good as what? I'm not that familiar with chewing tobacco. Oh, I me neither. I've just never but understood like, it. And it, every now and then, I'll meet somebody who does that, and it's just like, I want to be like, wait, did you know you're not supposed to be doing that? That's like an old man thing. Or like, <laughs> I don't know. It just seems like an old man thing. Yeah, my great grandfather uh, did it. Pop was his was his name that I called him. Golden Bob. <laughs> my brother-in-law does it, and I don't understand. And, like, my nephew will, like, go for, like, his little, whatchamacallit, can? Not can. What do you... His thing. Of, yeah, whatever yeah. the, the can um, And he's always like, oh, no, you can't have that. And it's like, you shouldn't be having it either. <laughs> That's disgusting. Yeah, my, uh... Well, I heard this story about, um, about my great-grandfather and how when my uncle's were young they were like kids they were out on a boat together so that would have been he would have been their grandfather um they were out on a boat and uh he was chewing his tobacco and my uncles were like i don't know maybe going for the can or talking about how they wanted to do it or whatever but my my great-grandfather was like you don't want to do it like don't do it it's it's not you know not for you and to prove it he, he gave them each a piece of it yeah to try and th- so these two young kids are like chewing it and then they got like wicked sick and just were like puking off the side of the of the boat and he was like and that's why you should never chew tobacco <laughs> and they never chewed tobacco in high school uh there was this one time in study hall when this kid got caught chewing tobacco 
And it kind of blew my mind that this kid was doing it. Like, he was kind of a gross kid, but he was very popular. Like, he was a grade behind me, and he was, like, one of, like, the popular kids. And I just felt like, how can somebody be popular and chewing tobacco? <laughs> Those two things don't go together in my mind at all. What the what hell? What about baseball stars? Is that still a thing? I don't know. It. It's weird that, like, of all the sports, like, baseball is somehow, like, you know, yeah. a thing where... But, like, this, this kid got caught with chewing tobacco, and so, like, uh, I think it was Coach Harland um, went up and started yelling at him. It might have been the principal, Dr. Black. I'm not sure. Um, and because he felt that this would get him out of trouble, he decided to just swallow it. Ugh. And then he got, and then he was really sick. He didn't throw up, or at least not in that room. But like he was clearly not feeling well, and he didn't <laughs> leave. That literally just gives me like shivers down my spine. And it just, I don't know. That's what at South High that was deemed okay. That kid can be popular. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah, I don't know what the baseball thing is. I, I know that there's like big league chew, like the mm. gum version of <laughs> yeah. made to look like uh, chewing tobacco, yeah. and even like bubble tape. So like you don't open it, but it is in this round container. Yeah, I never and thought about that. Like, yeah. um, it's sort of like one of those things, like oh well, you know, you've got your root beer for kids and your regular beer for adults. You've got chewing gum for kids and chewing tobacco for adults. But I feel like you got your Popeye candy cigarettes. Popeye candy cigarettes? Yeah. Was that your brand of choice as a kid? Well, they had pop. They had Popeye on them. The character. Oh, okay, I never had ones that had any characters on them. I just had. No, yeah, they were they branded with like white. Popeye. Yeah, they were plain white and. Oh, Popeye was on like the box. Yeah, Popeye they... was on the box. Oh, yeah. okay. I never had those. I liked candy cigarettes, and those became very hard to find at one point. Um, I'm sure they're, com- like, impossible to find now. Well, the last time that I found any was uh, there was like a, a candy tent at the Washington County Fair, and they just had all sorts of random candy, and I bought a bunch of the. I bought a lot of candy actually, and this was like two thousand one or two thousand two, and then maybe two years ago I found that bag that I'd bought and hadn't eaten any of the candy, <laughs> and I was shocked that it wasn't covered in like ants and mold and shit. I threw it out immediately, but it was surprisingly not gross. But there were candy cigarettes in there. I. Probably not. I probably went through the candy cigarettes. Well, then why? Oh, okay. <laughs> so what is that story? I'm just saying. I, I'm just saying. Like that. The last time, that was just a side story about candy I bought at the fair. Okay. <laughs> and uh, that was the last time that I saw candy cigarettes for sale anywhere was at the fair. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Uh, I thought you were going to be like, I found this bag of candy cigarettes. Anyway. <laughs> Maybe we've exhausted our conversation on uh, the outlaw Josie Wales. <laughs> we've devolved into uh, chewing tobacco tirades and yeah. yeah. So okay, I really want a candy cigarette right now. Yeah, apparently there are, there are some that like you well because like with the candy cigarettes you can like kind of breathe through them. Really, they're a little porous. See, the ones that I had were just, they, it basically was just like. Just a stick. It was like a thin piece of chalk almost. <laughs> yeah, very chalk like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I never liked them because, because it felt like you were just chewing on chalk. Yeah. Which is just awful. Which Isn't that I, good I like for Smarties, something? though, but I don't know. I, I did not like Smarties. I like I liked sweet tarts, and Smarties always struck me as like the poor man's sweet tart. 
Well, I was that poor man. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't have enough of your fancy sweet tarts. No, what was, there was like one step lower than Smarties. I don't remember where they were though. I mean, Smarties were. That's strictly a Halloween thing. I would never eat Smarties. But there was this other one that was like. They were in the same kind of like Halloween. wrapped tube kind of thing like Smarties were, but they were not as good as Smarties. Then there's Necco sweet wafers, tarts? which are just. Wait, no, not as good as. Oh right. No, no the, there you the like hierarchy the sweet tarts. is sweet. Sweet, sweet tarts. tarts are on top, and then Smarties are below them. And then there was some other thing. And then there's Necco wafers way which down at the bottom. They're just they were nothing. They used to uh, um, my bus driver in elementary school used to give us Necco wafers. Oh god, they're the worst. Yeah. The, I don't yeah Necco wafers I wonder if that's why I threw up when I finally took communion for the first time because the wafers reminded me of Necco wafers <laughs> or it's probably just because it was gross and don't give a nine year old wine no you had real wine I don't think that's what did it though I think it was the wafer but yeah huh some churches do like grape juice and stuff yeah I always but, have grape juice yeah well you know we we're Episcopal <laughs> Got an Episcopalian over here. We had, we had the outfits and everything. Wow. We had the robes and all the fancy nine, stuff. Nine uh, nine year old drinking your wine. How fancy. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. So that was at Watch Josie Wales. <laughs> yeah. So I didn't realize our conversation about that movie would end with that. Mm-hmm. How would you say that the Outlaw Josie would you say that this is a that it's a great film? No. Good film, yes. What 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 would what would be your distinction of a, of a great film as opposed to a good film? And what prevents this from being great? Um, I don't know. <laughs> I, a great film would I'd finish it and be like, "Holy shit! I need to show everyone this movie." But that's also my reaction to really bad films mm-hmm. or really weird films. Um. Uh, I'm not sure. It's it's one of those things where like uh, if I watch a great film, I just know. You feel it's great. I think it's a great film. That's what I would say. You'd put it in the top tier Eastwood. Yeah, of all, of the Eastwood films that I've seen, I would uh, yeah. I'm talking strictly you know his directing uh, filmography. Yeah, I would say this is top tier Eastwood. I'm not sure exactly how many I've seen that he's directed. He's got 39 directing credits on uh, IMDb. I've seen 14. So there are 25 things he's directed that I haven't seen. The most recent one I've seen is J. Edgar, which is not top-tier Eastwood. No, that's not top-tier Eastwood. I think that might be the the uh, latest one that I've seen as well. I think my personal favorite is probably Bronco Billy, because it's just a really fun movie. And um, I don't know. It's just really, I, I like his fun movies, like White Hunter, Black Heart, where he, it's basically like Clint Eastwood is playing John Huston while making the African Queen. But they don't call him John Huston. They don't call the movie the African Queen. It's like all the names are changed and everything. But he's basically doing. You know, you always think, oh, Eastwood kind of he plays the same character all the time. But then there's this one movie where he's playing John Huston, <laughs> and he's even kind of doing the voice a little bit. Like, as far as great films, though, I mean, I'd probably put Unforgiven up there. And um, I need to return to Mystic River at some point. 
But based solely on my memories of it from way back when, I, I believe it was a great movie. <laughs> it's been a long I time. I believe it was a great movie. I, I believe it might have been somewhat no, I, of a great movie. It's been a long time for me as well with Mystic River, but yeah, I really, I, I mean, it, it is really good. But at the same at time, at least I, it's really good. Maybe he's never made a great movie. Maybe that's what makes him a great director. Is that he's never made a great movie. Is just all of his movies are just, he, he just does them well. And he's got his style. Like, he's definitely an auteur. Like, if you're trying to decide if a director is, like, like an auteur with, like, a vision and a certain style and everything, like, he's got that. You wouldn't say that Unforgiven is a great film? I might. I think Unforgiven is definitely a great film. I would not argue that. Well, yeah, I said either, like, Unforgiven or Mystic River are probably uh, ones I'd call great. And, um, I mean... I'm sure he's done great films that I still haven't seen. You know, I still haven't seen Space Cowboys. I've I have seen Space Cowboys. Is that a? I would not call it a great film though. Is it good? Is it entertaining? It's entertaining. It's uh, you know. You, you had a good time watching it. It's yeah. It's it's got some fun. There are so many movies out there that you don't have a good time watching. So it's like definitely. That's fine. I mean, you got Clint Eastwood, Tommy Lee Jones. You know. As well. Well, Is Don, James Garner in Donald that? Sutherland and James Garner, yeah. No, oh, Donald Sutherland's okay, but James yeah, Garner, like. But... <laughs> Space Cowboys. Well, that'll uh, wrap up this discussion, I think. All right. So, what uh, we're going to watch one of your picks next episode, right? And I don't know what this is yet. Yeah. So what are we watching next episode? Well, this is a film from uh, another auteur uh, who has uh, been making movies since the 70s. And uh, he definitely has a, a distinct style and a, a personality. Um, I'm not sure if you've seen this one. I, Well, <laughs> as is our theme, I have not. Uh-huh. Uh, the number 23... The number 23. It stars Jim Carrey. It was directed by right. Joel Schumacher. We have not done a Joel Schumacher film. No. Okay. I, yeah, no, I have not seen this. It's... Okay, I kind of know what this is, though. It, I remember when it came out. Yeah, I remember people talking about it a lot when it came out, and then, like, I bought the DVD, like, the first time I saw it used somewhere, I bought it. And it's just been sitting there for all these years, as so many of my movies are. And I feel like, yeah, it's about time. Because then once I watch this, I can watch uh, a couple other Schumacher movies that I own. Because, you know, I might as well just watch them in order. Because I also own Blood Creek and 12, which came out after number 23. So. He was getting heavily into numerology, I, I guess. Yeah. I'm trying to think if there were any others besides 12 and number 23. Of his films? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I can't think of it. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. No, I have not seen that either. So hopefully this is... Uh, I think it's our first Jim Carrey movie, too. Uh, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, all sorts of stuff we can discuss. <laughs> yeah, because Jim Carrey's had quite the career. <laughs> it's quite the statement. Okay, well, uh, I guess, uh, yeah. Okay, 
So next month, there's a new Clint Eastwood movie coming out. <laughs> Is that a thing to talk about? Uh, we don't need to talk about it. We can okay. just wrap it up. Here. All right. Cool. Um. <clears throat> okay, so you can come join us next episode for the number 23. In the meanwhile, if you uh, feel like talking about The Outlaw Josie Wales or any of the other movies that we've discussed in the past, or maybe you want to suggest something else for us to watch maybe you're just like god why are you watching you know you know the repo man and or, i always say repo man repo the genetic opera and why are you watching outlaw josie wales and why are you watching number 23 you should watch this instead i want to hear you talk about this well you should let us know you can go to our facebook page facebook.com slash talking movies or you can email us at talking movies pod at gmail.com or you can, uh, you know, send us a message on uh, Podbean, which is where we host our podcast. Talking movies there. Or you can uh, rate and subscribe and do all that fun stuff on iTunes or any of the uh, places you find your podcasts delivered. And that would be great. We'd love to hear from you. So thank you for joining us another exciting episode of Talking Movies. I'm Max. I'm Tim. And we will see you next time.